Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, breathing life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. Today's guest is Matt Boyle. Matt is the CEO and founder of Online to Offline O2O, a company dedicated to helping businesses increase their lead generation activities, optimize their sales conversions, and maximize their profits. But that's only part of the story. O2O is committed to using entrepreneurship and job creation as a vehicle to end poverty-driven exploitation and sexual slavery by opening up centers and developing countries and using them as a community hub. Matt lives on the Sunshine Coast in Australia with his wife and his six children, where he spends his spare time training for strongman competitions. And that's not all. I have to tell you, Matt, I have seen some of your videos on the strongman competition (laughs) and you are slaying some heavy weight and my hat goes off to you for that for sure. Sure. That's my stress relief. I love picking heavy stuff up and moving it. When I was reading a little bit of your background of how it all started and how this began, it started with a trip to Thailand, an unplanned tattoo, a prostitute, and a high-speed chase through Pattaya. That's all correct. It was a yeah, an eye-opening experience, I can tell you that. I met an Aussie guy that was working with the Thai immigration police. And we just got talking and prior to that, I'd, like most of us, blinkers on living this blessed life in this amazing country, worrying about providing for my family and all that kind of stuff. And then he just started sharing stories with me and just started talking about some of these kids that he was rescuing and some of these women that he was rescuing and the decisions that they made that forced them and put them into this situation. And I just said, you've got to take me over. And I said, I, I need to see this for myself. Like, I just cannot fathom that parents are so poor and so strapped for money that they can rent their kids out to that life. I just cannot fathom it. And it took me a few months to convince him and he eventually took us over. And yeah, those three weeks just literally changed my life. It was just seeing the depravity that people go to and how they can take advantage of people was just mind boggling. When I got back to Australia, it was like, I can't go back to life as it was before. I can't go back to my own little hole with put my blinkers back on and live and just go live providing for my family. I've got to do something to make a difference. And a few years later, this is where we are now. The way you took that experience, turned it into something really personal and took action. I visited with an author of a book, Thoughtfully Fit, and Darcy Loma, she talks about a, a process that she uses. And the process is pause, think, and act. And in your particular case, I know that really paused you and you really had to take notice of oh, what was going on. I got back and I said, so at the time I had a sales training company, so I was getting paid really good money. We had four offices around Australia. It was very profitable business, but 
a week or so after I got back, I was in this boardroom and I was training this group of salesmen and I had seven or eight of them sitting there, arms crossed, doing everything they can not to pay attention and to disrupt it. And I'm working this out in my head and I'm working out how much I'm getting paid and how much the room was, how much the wages for the sales team that were there and worked out in my head that this day was costing this company $25,000. And I'm sitting in there going, these guys are not going to do a thing that I've said. Within 30 days of walking out, these guys have gone to forgotten everything. They're going to not be doing it. And the worst part is it's going to cost this company hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost sales because their results are atrocious. And that got me thinking because at the time I was donating money left, right, and center. And every cent that I had, I was donating over to Thailand to help rescue women and all this kind of stuff. You know, it got to the point there that I'd actually donated a mortgage money and my wife had to tap me on the shoulder and goes, honey, you need to ring the bank because... Mortgage is supposed to come out tomorrow. We don't have enough money. So you need to ring it. It's on you. Sort it out. So I had this sort of thing in my head going, what I'm doing to donate, actually go and donate money, isn't actually sustainable. And then on the other hand, I'm getting paid in this event's costing $25,000 and they ain't going to get the results out of it. So I went, if I could just figure out how to take all the stuff that I've been training sales teams for them not to do and actually put it into a process, systemize it into a way that, I can quality control it, I can measure it, I can actually get the results out of it, then surely companies, instead of paying me to train their teams not to do it and pay me to build a team to do it, they get the results, I can make some money and I can actually go and create some jobs. And that was the sort of collision between my mission, my passion, my vocation, where it all came together and went, it's so simple. Actually, it's extraordinary. It really is. You're the type of individual who we don't hear a lot about. But in your particular case, you took a modern day problem that we've had. I think that the numbers that I've seen is that in Thailand, there's over 600,000 victims of human trafficking. And that's an extraordinary number. Yeah, the town of Pell, where we spent our time and where I've got that affinity to, there's over 6,000 women and children who are trafficked through there. So they'll come from Cambodia, they'll come from Eastern Europe, they'll come from Africa, they'll come from other regions of Thailand and they go through there. I said, the numbers are horrendous. And for me, I looked at it from multiple problems and went, well, you're never ever going to be able to stop the demand for these victims. So if I can stop the supply and minimize the supply through job creation, because everyone that ended up in that situation did so because of money. And they made sometimes the bad choice, sometimes the choice was made for them. Sometimes they were flat out lied to and manipulated. But all of those decisions came about because of money. And I went, well, if you build a center in the middle of these regions and you train them and you give them job, they have a different choice. And then they don't need to go down that path. They don't need to go down where they're going to get exploited and all that kind of stuff. So that was that was where my thinking came from. And that's where the motivation looked at it from an entrepreneurial mindset as far as how can I do that sustainably? Because well, the more I looked into different businesses, different charities, different not-for-profits, I couldn't find a way that had that sustainability to educate employees to actually take foreign money, put it into the community, but do it in a way that actually bred independence, not dependence. Absolutely. You opened one business development outsourcing center in the Philippines. And I understand one of your goals is to grow it to... 10,000 employees by 2023. Based on the background that I have in sales and marketing, there was that lead generate component where yep. you're smiling and dialing back in the day, smiling and dialing, okay, and having these conversations. So in your particular case, your business model is completely different. 
Can you share a little bit about that business model as it relates to training your teams? Yeah, totally. So it starts from process first, people second. Thankfully, these days, technology has enabled us to communicate with people through different media and different and all that kind of stuff. So we don't need to rely on door knocking. We don't need to rely on cold calling as much as we used to be sustainable. LinkedIn, for example, it has 90 million people that are in a senior influencing position and it has 63 million decision makers. So there's a huge pool of people just inside of LinkedIn. Then there's so many different avenues outside of that we can go find people. So we build systems first and then we train our people to be able to use the system. So we wanted to be able to quality control every step of the way. So when it comes to creating a process, if we were looking at prospecting CEOs of $20 million companies, for example, and we wanted to find them in the manufacturing industry, we can go to LinkedIn, we can build a profile of this is who our decision makers are, this is what their profiles look like, this is the companies, and we can go and create a list of 5,000 people based on that. We can then quality control that. So we can then actually go have a second set of eyes, go and check that work has been done to the right standard. We can then have an outreach plan of going, well, we're going to connect with them on LinkedIn, we're going to send them a message, and we're going to engage in a conversation and book them into an appointment. And so we can process that. We can script out all the messages in a way that is a lot of yes, no answers and a lot of that kind of ways that we can make a decision-making tree based on. So again, we can quality control all of that. Then when it comes to training, instead of actually trying to train our salespeople and our agents on, this is the manufacturing industry, this is their problems, this is their pain points, this is how we need to construct the conversation, which is a far greater level of training that's required and skill that's required. We train them to go, okay, go and match this profile. When you do it, send them this message. And when they respond, you need to look for these keywords. And keyword is going to be this response A, response B. And we can measure that, we can manage that, and we can have full sets of eyes watching it to quality control. So through our systems and through the training, and we have a project management tool that we itemize every single task that they need to do put their account on a day. And that could be 150 different tasks. But every single one of those tasks has a training video attached to it as well. We've gone to that level of sophistication in our processes in and our in our systems. But that means I can take an agent off the street that has never turned on a computer and I can have them performing at a high standard selling. I've got hedge funds, I've got logistics companies, I've got recruitment companies, I've got business franchise sales, I've got high-end leadership coaching programs, I've got paper different kind of verticals that are very complex sales processes. I can get them generating leads in those verticals within three days. That's completely remarkable. It really is. So when your team generates these leads, first, let me back up the trolley, just trying to understand here. When you contract with a company, have you had any challenges with selling them on the, I would say, the triple opportunity that they have, not only to supercharge their sales, but also help other people and create jobs for your team? Do they understand what you're doing in terms of your vision and your mission? They do. do they, they care. To, look, no one cares when it's working for them, but they don't care when it's not working for them. So my mission gets us in the door. It gets the conversation started. But I'm not going to go get a company to commit 
two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year unless I can deliver them a five to ten times result. So yes, they care. Yes, it gets us in the door, but we have to be able to execute. We have to be able to deliver. And absolutely, when we were starting and part of the reason for the, the delays in the journey and the financial hardships that we, we went through in the early days was because our systems weren't up to standard. The quality control wasn't there. And that took two years to the systems to the sophistication that they're at now and the level of detail and the level of planning that goes into it. That was hard and that that cost us a lot. We lost our house. We went through absolute financial disaster trying to figure all this stuff out. But now that the systems are down, I could walk into just about any company and be able to put together a strategy that can work for them, that can give them a measurable return. So they get the feel-good factor as far as, hey, we're making a difference and we're supporting Matt and Matt's vision and creating these jobs and they get that feel-good factor. But they don't have to justify why that feel-good factor is costing them money. That feel-good factor is making them money. It's increasing their sales. It's reducing some of their sales development and their business development costs because not only are we integrating outsourcing, so instead of paying $30 an hour, we're paying 7 or $8 an hour, but we're also leveraging technology. So what we're actually achieving in that hour is 50 to 80% more contact and outreach than what they would one-on-one. So we're actually getting a double whammy of cost savings while still delivering a measurable result. Makes a lot of sense. So my understanding is that you have probably five or six different frameworks that you initiate in your business from the standpoint of connecting, engaging, quality, converting, and then the serving piece. So my question is more now on the inside with yep. your team. Can you talk a little bit about how that's structured and the type of mindset that your team has regarding the work that they do and the opportunity that they have? Look, we spent a lot of time laying the right foundations for culture. And it became really clear that a lot of the people we're employing are coming from a fear-based mindset, that they need to do this, otherwise they're going to lose their job. And we wanted to abolish that thinking. We want people to be grateful for their jobs. We want people to be hardworking, but we don't want people worried about making mistakes and worried about all of that kind of stuff. So we really had to spend a lot of time creating this culture based on on, on challenge based on discipline, based on getting feedback and welcoming feedback, but doing it from that perspective of growth, not from the perspective of discipline. And that's something that for most of them is quite foreign because the way they're managed in typical centers over there is if you don't perform, you lose your job. Where we sit there and go, if you don't if you don't perform, then there's a problem with our system or a problem with our message. So let's go fix the system because either we haven't got the right process in place, we haven't got the right messaging in place, or, or there's something else going on. So we take ownership for such because of the processes we have. We sit there and go, the variables you can control as the agent says, are you on time? Are you following all the processes? And if you're doing that, then there's nothing for you to worry about. If you're doing that and it's not delivering the results, then that's a system issue. So let's fix the system. That's something that takes a lot of, to really ingrain and really get into people because you know, you've been in sales. That's such a foreign concept for anyone in sales in the Western world, let alone in developing countries, it's there. But when you really embrace it from the top down, the results you can actually deliver are astronomical because now people are just focused on the process and the data from the process tells us whether we're on track or off track. And if we're off track, that raises little red flags and we go and fix it. And because we can fix it quickly, we can deliver amazing results for clients and amazing returns free from that, which they are welcome. And we have processes in place to celebrate victories all the way, all the way through. So we have regular team lunches and team dinners and all of that type of stuff. We've got a karaoke machine 
there, which gets a workout just about every week and all that kind of stuff. And that's how they celebrate victories. And it's all in or none. So we won't exclude anyone. Like it's not an individual basis, it's a team basis. So as an entrepreneur, especially over the last two years with the pandemic impact or effect that it had on all businesses, what kind of effect did it have on your business? Oh, we doubled. And it just came down to that right off a right time. Pandemic meant right people were more open to different opportunities and different things where companies were previously, no, we need to insource this. We need to do it in-house. We need to see our sales team before them to work. All of a sudden they went, oh, we can actually manage this remotely. So they became more open to the opportunity. Then the employee shortage started kicking in. So all of a sudden, yeah, when people went back to work, they were going in the Western world. I know certainly here in Australia, people were going, you know what, I can go make 30 bucks an hour on Airtasker and I can go make 30 bucks an hour with Uber and all this kind of stuff. So why am I going to go torture myself working in a call center for 30 bucks an hour? So they couldn't fill those roles. All of a sudden they had to go look at different opportunities. And then all of a sudden with the right fits, they were, oh, this is actually so much better. It's scalable. It's measurable. We don't need to stress about it. We don't need to have the office space. We don't need to have these and all of that kind of stuff. So all of a sudden then when they became open to it, they actually saw the value of it rather than just thinking about it as previous eyes were, oh, I'm not dealing with outsourcing from there. So yeah, for us, it's been a it's been a good thing. So how about the impact on your team though? Boots on the ground in the Philippines, what was their response? Because every country has their own way of handling crises, Look, if you will. Our team was amazing going through it. They had lockdowns as we all did. In the Philippines, the lockdowns were very primal and we actually had, so we gave all of our team the choices in the lockdowns. We said, if you can work from home and you've got stable internet, we'll set you up with a computer and a terminal and you can work from home. If you can't work from home and want to go home, we'll, you'll, we'll use your leave and all that kind of stuff to, to pay you as long as we can. And we guarantee you, your job will come, your job will be here when you come back. No questions asked. Or if you want to work and can't go home, then we'll set up accommodation for you and we'll feed you, we'll house you, we'll care from you. And every single one of our employees, bar none, either work from home or stayed in the office. So we had about 30 staff that we built temporary accommodations with all of that stuff in the Philippines. And we we're one of only two centers that the Philippines government actually signed off in the town that we're in, signed off to, to allow teams to keep working through the lockdown because we had all the right protocols and all that kind of stuff in place. And it was an amazing bonding experience. Like I had agents that did not go home and see their families for three months. That's and remarkable. that was their choice. Like we, we kept asking them, kept checking them going, you can go home. And they said, no, so we just want to keep, we just want to keep working. Our family understands we're providing for them. We're, we're helping businesses. We're doing all of this thing. And it was an amazing bonding experience. Like they, our center and our team, treat each other like family because of that experience. For us, it was such a great, potentially it was catastrophic because I said we just got ourselves back on head above water and it could have absolutely potentially derailed us completely and all that kind of stuff. But it turned out to be such a great experience that our leaders really stood up and people that we I didn't think would be leaders came in and become leaders and the bonds and the community that was formed out of it has just helped us continue to propel propel ourselves forward. It's been amazing. I wanted to ask you about the leadership team in the Philippines, boots on the ground right there. And I also wanted to find out a little bit more about your leadership team. You're the CEO and founder of O2O. Can you talk about both spaces? Certainly. So on the grounds in the Philippines, we have operations managers, we have sales manager sitting on the ground and they form kind of the nucleus 
of the of the team over there and then we have a lot of developing leadership around it so we have team leaders we have yeah we, we have a couple of layers of leadership over there that we're constantly looking to develop our leaders from within and let them grow and let them do it because they're all chasing opportunities they all want to earn more money so we put them in the situation where they can grow they can develop their skills and they can benefit from our from our growth so the leadership team over there is really solid we're just adding more of a HR leadership component at the moment. That's a, the area of focus. Focus for us now, we're at that size that we want to have a site engagement officers and HR that are really driving things there because what worked for us when we were smaller, it's not going to work for us as we're bigger. So we're filling that. We're filling that gap over, over there. As far as the leadership over here, I have a CFO that has my back. I'm on the visionary, on the let's just go sort this stuff out. But I don't necessarily, financial management isn't my strong suite. Hence, why well, we lost our we lost our shirt, we lost our house and we lost everything because I didn't forecast properly. I went, I could figure this out in six months. Didn't do the what ifs and the contingencies and all that kind of stuff. I brought in a CFO to have my back and we manage that tension and he understands that on the accelerator, I want to just go hell for leather and just keep growing. And I understand he's the handbrake to go, let's stop, let's think, let's plan, let's let's work well. So we manage that tension between the two of us very well. And that translates all the way through. So it's a lot of fun. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. So what is your forecasting for actual visits to the Philippines? How often do you visit or how do you connect with the team leadership there? Look, we talk daily. We use Slack. We use Hangouts. We use Zoom. So I'm talking with the team daily. We're fully immersed, fully immersed in, in that. I go over to the Philippines as often often as I can. With training, I'm actually training to try to qualify for Australia's Strongest Man at the moment. So I don't get to go over there as often as I need to. But the good thing is I actually don't need to because the business is running well over there. The systems are working. The team keeps growing. I have to just embrace the fact of I don't that my business doesn't need me there on the ground regularly to run the leaders that I've put in place that I've developed that I've trained and the systems that I've built enable it enable us to do it. That said, we're growing rapidly. We probably need to open another center in the Philippines because we're running to capacity and we want to launch in Thailand next year. So my trips to the Philippines and over to Thailand are going to be a lot more frequent over the next 12 months than what they have over the last 12 months. And you dovetailed right into my next question, which was going to be, what's next? What's next? Expanding well, in the Philippines and, and, and Thailand. Okay, I'm getting that. Is there anything from a technology standpoint or any type of marketing frameworks that you are testing out? Not that you want to share your secrets or anything like that, I understand. <laughs> but uh, well, we're building a community of partnered with quite a few venture capital firms that are putting together a big entrepreneur event early next year. And through that, through, there's going to be a lot more strategic partnerships with startups and scale-ups and that and using our centre more as a labour hire centre as well as the business development centre. So there's a lot of growth coming over the next 12 months. For me, that wants to lead to centres in Thailand, centres in Cambodia, which is where there's a much greater problem around trafficking and exploitation. That's the growth plan for us over the next 12 months. Have you looked at the continent, Africa? Uh, Yeah, yeah, looked at Africa, looked at South America as other regions that our model works perfectly in with that. And there's the same levels of exploitation and, and poverty that we can help resolve. It's because I went to Thailand because that's where my experience was. That's where the, the heart's focused first. 
the plans once we get launched into Thailand. There's that next level of growth beyond that where it is actually, I'm not worried about filling centers as much anymore. I can just open them and all that kind of stuff. There's certainly the only way I'm going to get to 10,000 jobs, which is the, the vision, the goal is to be able to have a much greater reach than Southeast Asia. Africa is one place, South America is another, and then probably Eastern Europe is probably another region as well. How can our listeners contact you? What's the best way for them to contact you? Best way is find me on LinkedIn, which I'm sure you'll put my profile in the show notes, but it's Matthew Boyle, Matthew spelled with one with one T through there, or you can find us on our website, which is online to offline.com.au. Absolutely. I have really been inspired but you open my eyes to possibilities of how I, even on an individual basis, can contribute to something that is going to enrich the lives of others. I think what you're doing is remarkable, Matt. And kudos to your team at home, your wife and your six children who continue to be there to support. I put them through hell for a couple of years, but they all stick by me. So it's amazing. Absolutely. So when is your big competition? When is that coming up? I'm training. I'm training for the qualifiers at the moment. So if I get through the qualifiers, which fingers crossed, I'll fingers crossed I'll do that then that's in end of January I've got a fair few things to tick off to get there between now and then it's just like anything you put the work in what I love about strongman particularly is it exposes you if you don't put the work in and it rewards you if you do because you know yep you can go and train and lift heavy five six days a week which is what I do but it's the sleep and it's the meal prep and the eating and the recovery that makes it and if you do all of those things you get rewarded and if you shortcut and you miss out on one of those steps, then it gets exposed. So you put the work in and you get the result. Much like life. Very much like life. Absolutely. Matt, I've enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Thank you for sharing your time with me and our listeners. And I wish you the very best with your competition, but more so with your family and with your business endeavors. And I greatly appreciate this time with you. Likewise, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.